Welcome to Passion and Purpose, a podcast with Jimmy Seibert and the Antioch Movement. Whether this is your first time with us or you've been with us for a while now, our desire is that by the end of our time together, you can say that you've fallen more in love with Jesus and have a greater passion for Him and His purposes in the earth. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope that you enjoy today's episode. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Passion and Purpose podcast. Excited to be with you guys today. Jimmy, how are you feeling? I'm feeling good, man. I'm ready to go. All right, let's go. We've been talking about seeking God personally, uh, individually. We've been talking about seeking the word of the Lord for the Antioch movement. Today, we're going to focus in on prayer. I'm going to ask you some common questions that we get related to prayer. Hopefully, uh, as you listen in, I imagine you've asked these and we can be stirred together at how God wants to work through our prayer life. So you ready to go? I'm ready. Let's do it. First question that people ask, Jimmy, is, how do I pray for a family member or friend that doesn't know the Lord that I want to see come to know Jesus? How do I pray for them? Yeah. So um, again, so much about prayer is heaven down instead of earth up. Okay. So I think about it this way. Everybody's created in the image of God. Therefore, my, we use the example of my mom, she's made in the image of God, she's made for God, and she'll never be satisfied without God. Mm -hmm. So my belief is that God wants to save her from her sin and come into her life by grace. So that's my starting point is confidence that God wishes for all men to be saved and not to perish. All right, so now I got my clarity point. Then my second point is then I have to have what I call a T-chart to pray against evil and to call in good. So it says in Scripture that the eyes of the unbelieving are blinded So there's these constructs of thoughts, feelings that blind people from God. So in the unseen realm, I get the joy of getting in there and pushing back the blinders and calling in sight. Isn't that amazing? Amazing. It's amazing. So I did for years this little T-chart for my mom. So she dealt with all kinds of different issues. So I would pray against fear. I would bind fear in the name of Jesus, and I would call in faith. Mm. I would resist bitterness and unforgiveness, and I would call in forgiveness and grace. I would uh, resist anxiety because she dealt with huge anxieties in the name of Jesus and call in the peace of God. I would literally go down the list, and we'll put in the notes that little T-chart for my mom. I think that's helpful visual for people. But what it would do is then at the end of my prayer for her, I would say, now, thank you, Jesus, that you are working because your word doesn't return void. So I would speak out uh, the grace of God into this situation and then leave it with the Lord. So um, I think that we feel sometimes that we're powerless, but God says that we are powerful by the Holy Spirit when we pray. And when we pray his word, we know that we are literally throwing strikes. We are the sword of the spirit, the word of God is being released into that situation. It pushes back darkness and gives the individual a chance to respond. You know, I think that one of the hiccups with people is, I prayed and prayed for my mom and she didn't get saved. And, um, you know, what did I do wrong? Does God not answer prayer, et cetera? Remember, God doesn't usurp the will of man, but we clear the decks so that they can exercise that will without blinders. Does that make sense? Yeah. So there we go. Okay, so what happened with your mom? Yeah, so um, uh, I, as well as many others, especially my brothers, sisters, family members, 
we prayed for mom for over 40 years and um, did not always see a lot of improvement along the way. Uh, but uh, uh, two months before she went to be with the Lord at 89 years old, she did respond to the gospel. She found peace with God. So, wow, 40 plus years. And the way I describe that with people, that shouldn't be a discouragement because what it did was in me praying for my mom, I learned to pray for others. And sometimes I would see an immediate answer to prayer. If you asked me to pray for your brother to be saved, and I had just this faith, okay, Lord, we resist the lies that this guy is believing. We're praying in the truth of God. Save him right now. You might call me the next day and say, we had the breakthrough, right? So I saw a lot of answered prayer along the way, just not that one that I was asking. So every prayer process that we go into builds authority for the next prayers that are needed for other situations. So good. So a big part of that, uh, perseverance, I hear. Yes. And so I want to ask you a follow-up question. Um, you had shared with me a while back a story about an intercessor who taught you an important lesson about perseverance in prayer and yeah. half-built highways. Yeah. So talk to us. What are some lessons you've learned? Maybe tell that story from persevering in prayer Yeah. For when you're praying for someone like a family member. Yeah. So, hey, let me just also just throw in a couple of scriptures here to help out. Luke 18, 1, Jesus said, we should always pray and not lose heart. And then he goes into the widow contending with the unrighteous judge. And the guy eventually just says, hey, lady, I'm going to give you what you want just so you'll leave me alone. So Jesus actually invites us to bug him, right? He invites us to be that, th- that person that just keeps coming and keeps coming, and keeps, especially for something that is a righteous, legitimate, biblical need in somebody's life. In Luke 11, after teaching us the Lord's Prayer, he uses the story of the friend who comes to his friend's house at midnight asking for bread. And the guy says, um, I didn't want to get out of bed, but because you're knocking unending, I'm going to come and give you what you need. So then Jesus says, ask and keep asking is what the, how that translates. Knock and keep knocking. Seek and seek. Uh, seek and keep seeking. Whoever asks, receives. Whoever knocks, the doors open. Whoever seeks, he finds. And this admonition of Jesus is perseverance is not only built into the DNA of answered prayer, it is actually a, um, a, a prerequisite. Like, I got to be willing to lean in and, and keep coming about the issue. So uh, back to that story that would really shape the trajectory of Lord's in my life related to prayer. Great lady, if you ever find anything online from a lady named Suzette Hedding is her name. And um, she was the chief intercessor for a large evangelistic ministry uh, led by a guy named Reinhard Bonnke. And how this lady, uh, you know, kind of cut her teeth in intercession was they would do these huge crusades in uh, Africa. There might be 100,000 people show up. Actually, they at one time broke the record at the most people showing up at a crusade of over a million people showed up. And one of the things they would do is they would build the stage, because you can imagine to reach 100,000 people is huge. I don't know how many feet, but, you know, say 20 feet high at least. And then under the stage, they would put intercessors in there 40 days before, praying around the clock, many of them fasting for 40 days. So there'd be 100 people praying under this stage, 
learning and tearing down strongholds and calling in truth and calling in people from the north, south, east, and west. I mean, wow. So that when the evangelist got up on the stage to preach, they called it fire under your feet. He said, I could just say Jesus and the power of God would come off the stage because they had created a boiler room of fire uh, in prayer and intercession for the law so that the power of God would come through this evangelist. Now, back to your original question. <laughs> so um, Suzette was teaching on intercession, the power of intercession, how do you pray things through? And she uh, was living in Germany, and um, she said this one particular day, she was just kind of caught up in her thoughts, not paying attention, and was taking an on-ramp onto the Autobahn, which is the big you know, highways there throughout Germany. And she said as she's coming up, she realized she had not seen the sign that said, you wrote under repair. And all of a sudden she looked up and she realized that the ramp was not connected. Like there was a chasm, a drop between where, how far the ramp was and where it was supposed to connect to the highway. And that's why there had been signs warning, do not proceed. And all of a sudden she locks up her brakes and she lands just a few feet short of literally falling off the edge of this ramp, right? And she was, she, she said she immediately was just, thank you, Jesus, like you saved my life and all that. And she said the Spirit of God spoke to her and said, it is right to thank me for saving your life, but there's something else I'm trying to get your attention. And said, Suzette, this is a picture of your prayer life. She's like, what, Lord? It's, this is a picture of your prayer life. And says, you have half-built highways. I have called you to pray something through. You stopped early, and people literally went over the cliff when I intended them to find an on-ramp to my glory or an on-ramp to healing or an on-ramp to hope or an on-ramp to help. But when people quit praying, people fall off the cliff. Wow. Pretty big deal. So... As she's teaching on this, we actually had our little discipleship school at that time. We had like eight or 10 people in the school. And we just paused the little video and we said, how many half-filled highways do all of us have? I just gave up early because I wasn't seeing what I wanted immediately. And we began to weep and repent and cry out to God and say, friends, family members, assignments that I had from the Lord, I didn't follow it through. And these people are just off the rails. Their, their lives are being devastated by the enemy because I didn't pray it all the way through. So that, that's, a, that's a very sobering deal. Even as I share it, every time I share it, I'm like, okay, Lord, where am I right now in that journey? But what it did for me was to say, I am not in charge of outcomes, but I am in charge of environments. You ready for this? So tell me, tell me more what yeah. you mean by that. I'm not in charge of outcomes. I'm in charge of environments. As a man of prayer, I am to contend for God's best for whoever I'm assigned to. It could be a family member. It could be a stranger. It could be a large issue in our nation. It could be something small, you know, uh, a person uh, who's got a cold. Uh, from the little to the large, I'm to unite myself with the Holy Spirit of God to pray for God's desired best for that person, according to the word of God, for them to be healed or restored or renewed or a marriage to be saved or somebody to be delivered of a demonic stronghold. I have to pray and to contend 
in the Spirit of God, by the Spirit of God, to create an environment for that person to submit to God and to find the grace that they need. And I will persevere until they're no longer with us or until they have a breakthrough or until God says, you've done your part. I'm releasing you from this assignment. So you, you basically have three choices as an intercessor. God said, you've done your job. Thank me. And, and we're going on. The person is no longer with us. So you've fulfilled your intercessory uh, um, a prayer or keep persevering and keep learning and growing in how to pray more effectively until you see what I've asked you to pray for. So that environment creation then, you know, when somebody says, well, someone died and they weren't healed of cancer or something like that, it grieves my heart. I, but through my prayers, I hopefully I loved them. I contended for them. I cared for them. All right. It didn't happen. But then that doesn't determine my whole theology on prayer just because we didn't see the outcome. God said, pray and believe and contend. Now, so the next time I pray for somebody with cancer, all right, Lord, how do I pray? What's needful? It could be they're unsaved. They need to be saved. Or God's working through it for a family member's breakthrough. Or I, there's a multiplicity of things that God could lead me to pray as I'm praying for cancer. But in the end, I'm not responsible for the outcome. I'm responsible for the environment of the Spirit of God and the grace of God to be so potent and so present that at the very least, they feel loved by God and taken to heaven with joy. And at the very most, we see that practical outcome that we're longing for them to be healed of a disease or a sickness. But I know that the collateral grace of God is abundant when the intercessor is committed. So powerful. I love that image of half-built highways, the scriptures on perseverance, and then your admonition of we can create an environment, we can like entrust the outcomes to yeah. the Lord, but we can yeah. be faithful with our assignment. So good. Uh, so another common question related to prayer is you've talked to us about how we pray for unsaved family members or friends, but how uh, should we pray for a spouse or a children or some things God's taught you about how do we pray for a believing spouse or believing children? Sure. So you got two things uh, uh, that, that you're doing. You're building them up in prayer. You're building up that the grace of God around their gifting, their calling, the, the thing that God has put on their heart. And also, you're clearing out the obstacles for their growth, right? So um, for each, for my wife, uh, Laura, for each of my children, now uh, son-in-law, daughter-in-laws, grandchildren, I have prayers of how God sees them, right? So, um, uh, so uh, how would I say this? So I have prayers for how God sees them, the promises that they have. So one of the scriptures that God gave us early on for Caleb, that he would be, uh, he would have wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. So I see him as a man of wisdom, a man of stature, a man of favor with God and man. All right. So that's one side of the affirmation that I pray. Now do that, Lord, today as he goes to work, today as he's leading this new church plan or whatever, whatever his assignment is, I'm then praying that promise around that, that it would bloom and flourish and would, and would be uh, um, uh, manifest, right? Then, uh, whatever his struggles or challenges are, and that could be somebody doing something negative towards him, that could be 
a personal challenge he's going through right now or whatever. Now, Lord, I speak the blood of Jesus over him, and I speak your scripture over him that he might be strong and courageous, that he may not, that he may fear not, that he may stand strong in the face of persecution, that he might find victory over a sin or a weakness. So I use the word of God consistently in my prayers because 1 John 5 says this, if we ask anything according to his will, we know that he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, we know we have that which we ask. So my confidence is not in my uh, Lord bless him, Lord help him, my son's hurting. God, I do pray, you know, I'm honest with God about how I feel about the situation. But now I want to know what does the Bible say and what scripture is the Holy Spirit highlighting? Then that becomes my PowerPoint, right? If the word of God goes out and doesn't return void, then, man, I'm throwing strikes every time I'm using the word of God, either against something that's hurting them or for something that they're, they're, called, in, uh, they're called to and to be strengthened. So I have, I have confidence that the best way for me to affect my family is by praying the promises of God and the word of God and using those as the weapons of warfare for the victory of God over their lives. I love it. I love it. Okay, so another question kind of in that same vein. If I'm trying to make a big decision, I know you've talked to the past about 30-day journal and trying to hear from the Lord, but yeah. how would you counsel me if I'm looking at trying to make a big decision and really wanting to prayerfully know what does God want me to do in this situation? Yeah, so... Um, this, this is uh, I, what I often refer to as the number one asked question is, what is God's will for my life? For, for a believer, for a sincere believer, um, man, I'm just not confident. I'm not sure. I've got these opportunities. I don't know what to do with my life, all that. So um, start with a, a couple of things. Um, and the number one thing that I encourage people to do is Pray Psalm 139, 23 and 24, where David says, search me and try me and see if there be any anxious way in me that I might walk in your way, basically paraphrased. And I said, release every outcome so that you are surrendered to God's will, whatever that is, and not your preference. So many times we spend a lot of times praying about our perspective on what's best for us. But the beautiful thing about God, who created us, who knows us better than anybody on the planet, you can take all the personality tests in the world, go through all the, the, the different tools that people have to try to find your passions, your desires, and still miss it by a mile. Because you, you're, you, our greatest joy as a believer is we were created by God, who gifted us by the Holy Spirit, who made us beautiful and perfect by the grace of God. And when we come to Jesus, now he's in the process of realigning and redeeming all the things that have been ruined by sin and give us a new view of heaven and earth and beauty and creation and all that good stuff. So here's what I believe about you, Zach. God has a will for you. Uh, uh, God has a plan for your life, and it is for good and not for evil. He created you far beyond what you could even ask or think. You dream your biggest dream, God's dream is better than that. It may be different than yours, but it's better than you could even ask or imagine. So look, man, so why would you not want to then surrender every pore, like literally the 
pores of your being to God who created you, who only has your best in mind, who sees the future. Nobody sees the future clear enough. You have all the smart guys get together and try to predict the future. They're all partly right, but they're all partly wrong because they don't see the future. God does. So you can tell I'm getting excited about Get this. excited. So, so, the, so the deal is, is if you want God's will for your life, God wants it more. Yeah. Woo! Isn't that great? Yeah. Most people live as if God's holding out on me. Even the best believers. God really doesn't want to show me what's his will. He doesn't really have a good uh, plan for my life. He gives several the good stuff to everybody else. I don't hear God. I don't have it. I'll just do the best I can. That is embarrassing. Just stop it. Get your heart lined with the word of God. So it begins with surrender. Search me and try me and see there be any anxious way in me that I don't live out of fear. I don't live out of what if. I don't live out of oh no. That uh, Jesus said in the garden, not my will, but your will be done. Whether somebody thinks I'm great or not, or whether it's, it's significant in somebody else's eyes or not, God, I lay my heart out. And Lord, show me every barrier of fear, anxiety, everything that's fearful of trusting you or mistrusting you, want to get rid of it. Now we clear the decks that my life's not my own, not my will, but your will. God, whatever you want me to do, whether it's known or unknown, I'm all in. Then we start praying Colossians 1, 9, and 10. Lord, fill me with the knowledge of your will, with all wisdom and understanding, that I might have a walk worthy of you, perfectly pleasing you in every good work. What kind of father does not want to lead their son or daughter who says, Dad, I trust you 110%. I want you to fill me with the knowledge of your will. How do you see me? And how do you think I can best fit for the glory of this family, for the glory of God, for the glory of the people of the earth? How easy is that to lead uh, as a father? You're like, Mom, oh, may it be, Lord. May they, may they ask me that question just once. Uh, but God, that's how I see, not, that's not just how I see God. That's who he is. Yeah. Whether I see him that way or not, it's true. So he's generous. He's gracious. He's extravagant. He sent us the Holy Spirit to speak to us, to lead us, to guide us, to direct us. I'm sitting on the secret of the universe, and he wants to speak to me. Come on. So emptying myself, and sometimes that, so back to the 30-day journal. The reason I tell people to go on a 30-day journal is there's more layers of self than we know in the process. And it takes more than just one prayer time to sort it out. So um, let me give you an example. So for you, Zach, um, By the grace of God and the joy of my heart, God let you hear breast us serve together. I believe that's God's will. Let it be forever because it's been such a joy to work together. But you had decisions. So you could say, um, should I stay in Dallas and remain in my current position? Should I move to California? Should I move to New York or should I move to Waco? Let's just say it was a locational decision. Right. So you and Christina say, all right, well, what do we think about these four ideas? So I, I would say, Zach, you and Christina go on a 30-day journal to find God's will for your life. So day one is let's write down everything we think about related to staying in Dallas, moving to New York, moving to California, moving to Waco. So you kind of get everything out of your head, and then you pray this prayer at the end, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. 
speak to me. Is there anything in my life right now that needs to be removed for me to hear clearly? Then you just journal, okay, Zach, you need to deal with this, da 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 da. All right. Day two, you and and my my deal with couples, if you're married, is um, if, or if you're going to bring somebody else to the prayer process, don't talk about it after day mm-hmm. one because you're going to swing, right? Oh, I met somebody today from Waco. I met somebody from New York. I think God's saying this. We jump around. So once you get into it, say, hey, we're all going to only journal personally with God, and after 30 days, we'll come back together and see what everybody gets. So day two, you're saying, okay, Lord, is there anything you want to speak about in New York? Anything you want to speak about California? Anything you want to speak about Dallas? So you wait on God. And you just write in impressions that you feel. You're not attaching yourselves yourself to what you thought you felt that day because it's going to move each day a little bit, right? And then, but that last question is not my will, but your will be done. Lord, what would you say today? Are there any barriers in my life to your will? And I'll journal it out. So you get through that process. By the end of 30 days, at the very least, you're going to be a more surrendered person. Love it. Right? At the very most, God God is cleaning out stuff that's not needed in your life, fears and anxieties and questions and tensions. And my experience has been, this is just my anecdotal experience, I've literally told thousands of people to do this, probably interacted with hundreds of people on it, and we're probably batting 95 plus percent that at the end of 30 days, people get that clarity. And when I mean clarity, at the very least, a piece, uh, an obvious piece of one over the others. Sometimes it's a very significant encounter with God, a dream, a vision, a, a huge scripture. But a lot of times it's just, man, it's so clear to us before God that Waco is what I'm supposed to be doing or New York or whatever. And um, I've done it with families, with, with uh, junior high and high school students. What schools should we go to next? Uh, we did that with all of our kids. Everybody, we would get three by five cards at the end of 30 days. We'd flip the cards over. And every time it was the same one. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. So, it's so, and I know everybody said, well, I did it and it didn't work or it wasn't the same one. If it's not, just say, okay, so what did we learn over the 30 days? What's God speaking to us? Is there any other barriers? Hey, let's, why don't we lean in another week around what we've now learned collectively about some barriers in our life and some things and fears we have. And I remember one guy, uh, he and his uh, new wife, they were deciding whether to move to the Midwest or not. And he said, we didn't get the exact answer, but God cha- answered 10 other things in our life that we needed desperately. And uh, and so we feel like God has given us grace to move to the Midwest if we want. But if we wouldn't have done the, the, the process, the other 10 things would have been answered. So good. I love that and love the 30-day journal. Let me uh, take you in another sphere of life. Yep. Uh, let's go to the work world. And when you were in the business world, God taught you some things about abiding in prayer. And so I'd love to ask you, what advice would you have for anyone listening who's thinking about, how do I pray in my workplace? How do I bring this in, not to the church, but to the yeah. marketplace wherever yeah. I'm, I'm serving today? How, how do I pray in those type of situations? And it could be, I'm a college student in a classroom, you know, the, wherever the sphere of influence is. So here's the here's the funny part about it is that I didn't read any books on how to be a Christian businessman. That just wasn't the deal. I was trying to be a Christian. So to be a Christ follower is you bring Jesus into everything. That frame, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
as I go to work, as I go to the soccer field, as I go to the classroom, as I go to wherever. And um, so my deal in the work world was I'm going to try this abiding thing in as a guy in sales and account maintenance for a company that worked with a lot of large companies in Houston. And so every day I would read John 15 and I would land on verse 5, apart from you, I can do nothing. So I, I would, my goal was in every interaction, every conversation to say, Lord, apart from you, I can do nothing. Would you come and rule and reign in this situation? And um, I mean, in, in, inside the business that I worked in, um, the team, there were eight different people who either uh, experienced a physical healing. Uh, one guy came to the Lord. Uh, one guy got the marriage help that he need. Two people needed to move on. They got different jobs out of it. And all eight, eight of these, and of course, there were other people in the business, but these particular ones said, man, you had the wisdom that I needed. And I was a 22-year-old kid, and or you had the thought that I needed, or this, this helped me move to this position. So that was a beautiful thing, but I wasn't like trying. I was abiding, listening, being interested in other people, and the Holy Spirit spoke. Uh, some of that was after work, some of that was during the work week, et cetera. In the actual business, sales and account maintenance was my deal, and I was able to be successful. God honored the work of my hands, just being interested in others, wasn't trying to manipulate them into a sale. I was just there to serve them. Our product was something they would want if uh, if they needed it, and, and so that ended up being successful. But I'll show one last story. Um, I walked into the uh, to this one business, and this guy was the VP of a Fortune 500 company. And I walked in and I said, Lord, what do you want to do in this meeting? And uh, the Lord said, I want to heal this guy. And I was like, uh, okay. So I start talking to the guy, asking about his family, asking about himself, and I'm trying to be uh, uh, listen for, is there any clue? Well, he had had... Um, uh, this uh, cancer that uh, you know could be terminal or not, and we got into that conversation, and then I was able to tell the guy. I said, "Well, sir, I uh, when I walked in, I'm a believer in Jesus," and he said, "You know, I'm kind of a mind over matter guy, positive thinking guy. He'd been in the Air Force as a background, and I said, and I felt like Jesus told me to pray for healing, and now that you tell me that, I think." That he wants me to pray for you. And the guy was was kind of very taken back and he said, Well, sure. I mean, you know, I'm I'm I need help. So I pray for the guy and he was deeply touched by God. Of course, there wasn't any proof in the moment. But as I did the follow-up for the sales call, as I did the follow-up, found that God had supernaturally healed the guy. Amazing. And he was stunned at God's grace. Now, that's a very dramatic story. Most of my deals were just, hey, how to be kind to people, look to their interests, be warm, be loving, you know, host the presence of God. And, you know, I didn't share the full gospel with every appointment and all that, but I did love everybody in the name of Jesus, gave windows of opportunity, and when the door opened, I still walked through it because I was abiding in Jesus. And so I would say that we did the same thing on the soccer field, raising our kids. We do the same thing in schools where our kids were, and never perfect. And of course, we were selfish so much of the time. We lost our own thoughts. But at least that became a beacon point for bring 
the presence through abiding prayer into every situation, and then you'll have the opportunity to do the actual prayers that are needed for the people that you meet. I love it. I love all these stories on prayer and advice. Uh, before we go today, any last words for our for our community? Yeah. So it, anything that is valuable has a cost associated with it. And prayer uh, has a cost associated with it. And the cost is that it takes time to learn how to pray. If you just take the simple idea that every problem has a promise in Scripture, then you actually have to take a moment to look up the Scripture and then put it somewhere in a place to use as a weapon so that you can pray effectively. Many times we want to relegate prayer to just Hail Mary in the sense of, okay, Lord, we just whatever, bless them, help them. I know you may or may not hear me, probably you won't. And that is just not what the Scripture calls us to. So set a time aside because this one pursuit will keep you from feeling like a victim and allow you to have power in your life to not only be personally victorious, but to help people get set free from the ravages of the enemy in our world. Be a person of prayer. It's worth the time. And actually, the people that you love the most need you to take the time so that they can find the breakthrough that they need. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Passion and Purpose, a podcast with Jimmy Seibert and the Antioch Movement. For more information, please visit jimmysybert.com and antioch.org. We'll see you next time.